there are tornado. There's a watch, right? Until uh, 3 a.m. And so what that means is that if suddenly the weather were to change tonight, like during RUF, I've got a person that's going to give me the signal. If that, I don't think that'll happen, but if it does, we will shut RUF down immediately. I'll pray and we'll be dismissed and we can find cover somewhere. <laughs> uh, also, uh, also, I don't know the tornado rules on this campus, but we'll figure it out together. Uh, also, if you, um, <laughs> it might be a good idea to, you know, normally we hang out for like an hour after RUF, and it might be a good idea tonight for us to dismiss rather quickly so that we can head to where we need to head to feel safe. So I don't know, not a big deal, but I need to say that so that if something were to happen, it's on the recording <laughs> that I told you to go home. Um, let me say this too, I haven't, we always, it seems like every week we have new visitors and people that are here for the first time. I've already met one person that's here for the first time. Uh, so welcome. I want to particularly welcome you to RUF. We're so glad you're here. We hope you find RUF to be a safe place where you can figure out what you believe about Jesus in the Bible. Uh, also, I'd love to meet you, not only if you're here for the first time, but if you've been regularly and we haven't met, please come up and introduce yourself. I'd love to get to know you, grab coffee with you, uh, and hang out and hear your story. So uh, before we dig in, let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and help us with this. If you were following along, pretty tough passage, uh, pretty in your face. So let's pray. We need God's help tonight. Let's pray. Father, uh, we pray, first of all, that you would, um, we know that you're in control of the weather, that you sit high above the storm, that you hold this world in your hand all the way down to the detail, and we pray that you would, uh, the storm would hold off uh, or not come at all. Uh, and we also pray that you would come tonight uh, through this passage and show us our heart. I pray that through your spirit that you would show us what's really inside, uh, not so that we can beat ourselves up, but so that we can see how desperately we need to be rescued, so that we would see why the good news really is good news. So I pray tonight you would convince us that we're a bigger mess than we realize, but at the very same time you would come and convince us that in you is more grace and mercy and love than we could ever imagine or realize. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark this semester, and specifically the theme that we've been looking at is this question of who is Jesus? And we've looked at lots of things this semester, his identity, his mission, his forgiveness. We looked at his word or message through the parable of the sower. We looked at his power. Um, and tonight we're going to look at his diagnosis. And what I mean by that is Jesus is going to come tonight and show us that our problem is actually deeper than we might realize. If you look at the passage, it's, you know, let's be honest as we look at it, it seems it's a little bit strange if you really followed along uh, in uh, the reading of the scripture. There's all these words of clean and unclean, and we could just look at this and say, man, that just seems like so far away. That seems worlds away from 
Oxford, Mississippi in the spring of 2016. I mean, how in the world uh, could uh, these people in this place, in this time, put so much emphasis on ceremonial this and ceremonial that? It seems so primitive at first glance. But what I want to convince you of is that the Pharisees are actually reacting to something that every single person in this room, and I include myself in that, every single one of us has to deal with. Think about it this way. Everyone in this room understands how important it is to be clean or to get clean. For example... If you've got that big date coming up with that special someone who you've wanted to go out with forever and you get that date and the time comes, or maybe you're meeting someone really important, some political figure or something like that, or you have that job interview or that med school interview, what do you do? You clean up. I hope so anyway. You, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, you comb your hair. What are you doing? You're getting rid of your uncleanness, of course. You're getting rid of any stain or any speck. You maybe get a new suit or a new shirt or a new dress. You do not want a wrinkle on you. You want to be clean. You don't want to smell bad. You don't want to have bad breath. That's what's going on here. In some sense, the cleanness laws have to get, get at that same idea. Unless you are clean spiritually, unless you are clean morally, you cannot be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. And what's interesting and what blew me away is as kind of studying this passage is if you look throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, if you were to read those, you will see that Jesus and the Pharisees don't agree on much, if anything at all. They do actually agree on one thing, though. And we see it if you look closely at this passage. They actually agree on the fact that man is unclean and unfit for God. And you can jump through all the intellectual hoops you want, but you cannot get away from the fact that every single one of us feels stained by sin. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, deep down, feels unclean. And if we're not convinced of that, then why is it that there is so much spin in your life? Why is it that you shade the truth in order to make yourself look better? Why is it that you convince yourself and everyone else around you that you're really not that bad and that you're okay? Why is it that you try to control people's perceptions of you? Why is it that you hide the real truth about who you are and you can't open up and you can't be honest or transparent with one another? Why is it that you work so hard to build your resume and you say, once I get there, once I get to where I want to go, then I'll take a deep breath, I'll be able to relax, I'll be good. And then what happens when you get there? You don't relax. Because there's more to get. And so you work, work, work. Why? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. 
Because deep down in your heart, you know what Jesus says about you in Mark chapter 7 is true. You know deep in your heart that there's something horribly wrong with us on the inside. Deep down in your heart, we know that we are unclean. We secretly feel that we aren't acceptable. That we have something to prove. That we aren't lovable in and of ourselves. That we're not worthy and valuable. The Pharisees knew it and Jesus knew it. The question in this passage and the difference in this passage is how do you address that problem? If we're unclean, how do we get clean? That's the question of Mark chapter 7. And the passage actually lays out for us two strategies to answering that question. Two opposing strategies or ways and approaches to getting there. And the first one, as Sinclair Ferguson lays out for us, is the outside in. The other one is the inside out. Those are the points in the outline for tonight. Outside in approach to getting clean or the inside out approach of getting clean. Let's look at number one, the outside in. In order for us to understand this passage, we need to understand verses one through five. So if you have your sheet, look at verses one through five with me. The Pharisees are making a big deal and the Jewish people here, are make, they're really into washing. They're making a huge deal out of washing. Washing your hands, washing cups, washing pots, washing everything. And the question we need to ask is why? Why are they making such a big deal? Well, it is not because of hygiene reasons. It was because of religious reasons. Remember, they knew that they needed to be cleansed. And so their thought was, track with me here, if I touch unclean things, then I become unclean. I become infected. If I touch things that are dirty and unclean and infected, that will affect me and I will not be fit for the presence of God. I will not be able to go to church. And so what do they do? i got to wash up. I gotta wash and get myself clean. But what I want you to see is this in this passage. Notice the Pharisees. This is important. They think the problem is out there, outside of them. They think the problem is when I interact with unclean things and unclean people out in the world, then I become unclean. What does that look like right now, practically today? Well, it looks like avoiding bad people. It looks like hiding and being a holy huddle in the world. It looks like cleaning up your language. i got to stop that. It looks like avoiding bad behavior and starting good behavior or stop listening to that music or seeing those movies. Again, those are not bad things, but think about it. Those are good things to consider, but it's an outside-in approach because the premise is this. If I clean up the outside of my life and the externals and I do that right, then the inside will be clean and right. That's the premise. And Jesus is saying, no, that doesn't work. And Jesus says it doesn't work because it's a misdiagnosis. 
It doesn't work because the problem and the source of the problem is much deeper than simply external actions and behaviors. So why doesn't it work? Well, simply put, Jesus says because it doesn't go deep enough. Look at verses 9 through 13 with me. Jesus gives this example and he drives home his point here by talking about this idea of korban. And so he looks at the Pharisees and he says, okay, let's think about the Ten Commandments. And let's think about honoring your father and mother. That's in the Bible. That is a command straight out of God's mouth. And then he looks at the Pharisees and he applies this commandment to this idea of korban. Korban was a a tradition that they had developed, not in the Bible. It's something that they had developed in their time. And korban simply meant when people set something apart for God and dedicated something to God. That was korban. And so he says, and so what the Pharisees do is say, we're going to take our money and we're going to set it apart and dedicate it to God. It's his. And on the surface, to us, that sounds like a pretty good deal. A good practice. And then Jesus looks at them and says, but wait a minute. What happens when your parents get older? What happens when your parents actually get old and need assistance and need financial help? And he looks at them and says, you hypocrites. You pretenders. Because in that moment, the Pharisees say, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. I've got nothing for you. All that I have, all my money has been set aside as korban and dedicated to God. So I hope you can figure it out on your own. And Jesus looks and says, you are choosing to obey the law of man, the law that you have created, rather than obeying the law of God and what He gives you. And that's why He says what He does in verse 13. Look at verse 13. You nullify the Word of God by your tradition. And you see, the outside-in approach enables a person to look really good on the outside to look very spiritual on the, inside, on, on the outside, but on the inside, at the very same time, it's all about loving themselves. It's just simply rearranging your inner selfishness. It's a way of using God to love yourself. So what does that mean? Well, it means that you can love RUF... It means that you can come every week. That you can lead Bible studies. That you can go to conferences and worship events and you can get really jacked up about God. You can never miss a quiet time or a devotion and it be all about you. And you not actually love Jesus, but actually be using Jesus. Because what you love is how Jesus makes you able to get the applause from other people. 
You love how Jesus enables you to feel, feel spiritual and mature and important in the eyes of others. And so the question is, how are you using God tonight to love yourself? You see, the outside-in approach, it doesn't work because it doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't deal with the inner selfishness. And here's the kicker. Every single person in this room, including myself, is doing this approach in some way. It's not just the religious people. It's not just the Pharisees in this passage. All of us look outside of ourselves, if we're honest, more often than not, to things outside of us to make us feel right and clean. We either look to our dress size, or to how fit we are, or to how uh, our appearance and what people say about our appearance to make us feel clean on the inside, or maybe we look to campus involvement or social involvement, or maybe we look to our political activity to make us feel right, or maybe we look to how competent we are in our particular field of study. If I feel competent, then I feel confident and clean and feel like somebody on the inside. And what Jesus says to us, all that is, is simply putting Band-Aid, it's like putting Band-Aid on cancer. It will not work. And then in verse 14, he starts to transition. And he starts to lay down for us the correct approach. And he says the correct approach is not outside in, but actually inside out. And that's our second point. Inside out. Look at verses 14 through 23. And so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they're interacting with one another. And the scene, the feel from the passage, if you read it, he's engaging them and everybody else is kind of like, whoa, I'm going to stay out of this. I'm going to let them do their thing. And then here in verse 14, if you notice it, Jesus motions the crowd and everyone within an earshot and he says, come close because I want every one of us to hear this. What I'm about to say and what Jesus says to them and what he says to us tonight, uh, particularly in the original context of the original audience, was absolutely astounding. And here's what he says. If you look at the verses, 15, Jesus says, the things going into you, okay, so the things coming into you from the outside, that's not what defiles you. It's the things that are inside of you that actually defile you. In other words, you're already defiled, Jesus says. The point is not that you've messed up and blown it big time. Jesus is saying that you were messed up to begin with. And that's your biggest problem, is you refuse to admit that you were messed up to begin with. Jesus is saying that your biggest problem tonight is not your behavior, but it's actually your heart. Very clear in this passage. Jesus, and again, I, I'm trying to just match the tone of the passage and not uh, overdo it, but Jesus is in our face in this passage. And he says the heart is the problem. And to the Hebrew mind, the heart is not the organ in our chest. That's not the way they thought of it. To them, when you said the heart, it was the center of their being. The essence of who they were as a person. 
And so this is a tough, this is tough stuff that Jesus is telling them. And the people listening them are ha- listening to him are having a hard time, particularly his disciples. How do we know? Look at verse 17 and 18. The disciples don't understand. They don't really get what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus gets really vivid here and says, Disciples, come, come a little bit closer. I'm going, go, I'm going to go deeper and more vivid. And then look at what he says. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, on and on. And you're thinking, if you're thinking what I'm thinking, Jesus, just stop. (laughs) We get it. But do you really? Do we really get it? Because what Jesus is saying is that these hideous, repulsive things reside inside of us, in our heart. That the seed of every single sin resides inside your heart and inside my heart. And the point that Jesus is making, His whole point is this. You're the problem. G.K. Chesterton, he's a Catholic philosopher. He was sent a letter once by someone inquiring and asking a question and they said, Dear Mr. Chesterton, Dr. Chesterton, what is the biggest problem in the world today? And he responded back, Dear Sir, the biggest problem in the world today is me. I am. That's what Jesus is saying here, that more specifically, our heart is the problem. Is being sinned against a real thing? Yes, absolutely. But Jesus is saying here, the problem is not your roommate. It's your lack of patience with their differences. Some of you are engaged to be married or will be. And when you're in marriage, the biggest temptation is, and I've been married for 15 years, and I can tell you this happens so often, is to look at my spouse and to look at Susie and say, you're the problem. And Jesus comes and says, no, the problem is me and my unconditional love for my wife. Jesus tonight says, your problem is not your sorority sisters. The problem is your condescension and your gossip about them. The problem is not your fraternity brothers. But it's the immaturity that resides inside your own heart that cannot stand up against the pressure. And you simply just go along with the crowd. The problem is not the beer that you drink. The problem is not alcohol. Jesus is saying the problem is that you cannot face the fear of thinking that you will not fit in and make it here at Ole Miss if you actually have to interact with somebody when you're sober. You see, what Jesus is saying is stop blaming everybody else. 
Stop blaming God. Stop blaming other people. Stop blaming your situation and actually start to admit, and I know this is tough, actually start to admit that this list actually and accurately describes you. You see, in order, you've heard me say things like this before, the Gospel's good news, but for it to be good news for you, you've got to understand the bad news. In order for you to be clean, you've got to understand what? That you're unclean. And that's what Jesus is getting at. If I'm ever going to um, be sweet to you, if I'm ever going to make you sing and fill you with joy, you've got to see your need. You've got to see how desperately you need a Savior. And so then the question is like... We need help. What's the solution? Look at verse 19. The second half of verse 19. Notice that Mark's, what Mark says there in parentheses. Jesus declared all foods clean. Those are Mark's words. He inserted those. And so when we see something like that in our Bible, we should think, wait a minute. He is trying to tell us something very important. And Mark says, what happened on this day you do not want to miss because Jesus rocked everyone's world in this situation. Notice that Jesus doesn't say he, that all foods were clean. Okay, did you notice that? He declared them clean. He didn't say they were clean. Why? That's important because Jesus did not, he would not have abolished the Old Testament law in saying we have moved past this. Why? Because Jesus came to fulfill the law. And that's not what he says. He says he declared them to be clean. And scholars and commentators say that basically this is what Jesus is saying. As of now, I make these foods clean. Translation. Jesus is saying here that the clean and unclean laws, they pointed to Him. They are about Him. They find their fulfillment in Him. All of the rules about cleanness point to Jesus. Jesus is saying that I am cleanness itself. And now I am bringing my cleanness and my righteousness to you. Friends, that's huge. How does that happen? Well, think about it this way. In order for something, in order to clean something, something has to get dirty. You know what I mean by that? In order to clean something that is dirty, the clean thing becomes dirty. For example, if you're in your apartment, if you're in your Greek house or in your dorm room and you spill coffee, and you grab a brand new towel or a clean towel and you get down and clean it up, what happens to that clean towel? It's filthy. It's filthy from the floor. It's filthy from the coffee. It is now dirty. That's how cleaning works. There's always a trading of places. When you're at a restaurant, you grab that clean napkin and it gets filthy because you wipe that barbecue sauce off barbecue sauce off your mouth as you're eating those rack of ribs or whatever it is that you're eating. And it's here we see the gospel, isn't it? It's here we see the gospel because Jesus says, I can make you clean. 
But the only way you get clean is if I become dirty. And that's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament because it's in one verse, it summarizes the gospel. Jesus takes our place. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who was completely clean, completely sinless, no dirt whatsoever on him, made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so on the cross, God clothes Jesus with our dirt, with our sin. And on the cross, Jesus takes the punishment for what unclean people like me and you deserve. And by faith, Jesus clothes us with these expensive robes of righteousness. Expensive because they cost Jesus his life. Jesus, who was clean, becomes unclean so that he can declare us who are unclean, clean. Let me say that again. Jesus, who is clean, becomes unclean so that he can declare me and you who are unclean, clean. Friends, I hope you see that the outside-in approach, that's not what we need. The outside-in approach says clean yourself up. Get your act together before you can come into the presence of God. The outside-in approach says scrub away your filth and work it off. And then you'll be good enough to come to Jesus. That's terrible news. The good news, the inside-out approach says come to Jesus. And let him make you clean. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, you don't have to clean yourself up. That's my job. Just come in the midst of your failure and guilt and regret and shame. Come and let me clean you. And so do you feel unclean? Do you feel unclean tonight? Well, friends, Jesus invites all of us to come to him tonight and be made clean. Let's pray.